The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, this is just a friendly reminder to make sure that you are registered to vote for the upcoming elections this November. Please text the word voter to 26797 to check your registration. You will also receive reminders for all local, state, and federal elections and your polling locations. And don't forget to follow I Am a Voter for more civic engagement opportunities. That's voter to 26797. Hi, this is Deborah Messing. I'm an actress and social justice advocate. I am Madonna Dayani, creator and co-founder of the nonpartisan movement, I Am A Voter. So Mandana and I are best friends and we're constantly sending each other inspiring stories of people around the world who are doing incredible things. And then one day we realized something. Most of them had no intention of becoming heroes. They just knew they had to do something and did it. So after months and months of research into these accidental activists, we created our list of the 20 dissenters who blew us away. Based on Ruth Bader Ginsburg's iconic I dissent slogan, a dissenter is someone who stood up to an injustice or challenged the status quo, someone who fought to build a better way. This week, we speak with the amazing Mark Bustos. Mark is a renowned international hairstylist with a huge roster of A-list clients. He also travels the world to provide free grooming services to the homeless and is the founder of the Be Awesome to Somebody movement, which is focused on spreading compassion. The images of Mark cutting hair on the streets have been covered by major media around the world. I actually met Mark at the Global Citizens Conference a couple years ago, and we instantly became friends. I was so moved by his work, and he's just like so cool and so inspiring. Mandana and I just loved meeting Mark so much, not only because of his amazing work as an activist, but also because of the simplicity of it, because of what it teaches us all about our potential. When we set out to create this podcast, we wanted to show people that we all have the potential to be heroes. And we repeatedly heard from our listeners about their doubts in their time, financial contributions, social following, skills, etc. But Mark, one day, walked out of his home with his hair tools and helped one person. He walked up to a homeless man and asked him if he wanted a haircut. That act of kindness inspired him to help one more person every time he went out, then dozens of people every time he went out, every weekend. And it inspired artists all around the world to do the same. His mission to inspire humanity, kindness, and awesomeness, to restore dignity to others, and to highlight that each of us, with no formal training, no organization behind us, no requirement of money or social followings, can make a life-changing difference to one other person. And now, it is our greatest honor to introduce you to the amazing dissenter, Mark Bustos, the humanitarian. Hello, Mark. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. We kind of want to just dive, dive in and get to know you and ask you all the tough questions. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we have no tough questions. <laughs> uh, we're just like a couple of nerds who want to meet cool people. And we thought if we had a podcast, we could get people like you to hang out with us. So this was our <laughs> trap to finally get you to hang out with me. So we usually like to kind of start. Start at the beginning. Yeah. Um, what was your childhood like? I grew up in a town called Nutley, New Jersey, not too far away uh, from here, actually. And, um, you know, I grew up in a middle-class family in a middle-class neighborhood as a middle child of three. Wow. Uh, yeah. 
but yeah, it was uh, it was probably like ninety percent Italians living there, and ten percent minority, and me being the minority. So it wasn't the easiest growing up in a town like that. But you know, I made it through, and I made a bunch of friends, and it was all good. And when did you start cutting hair? I started cutting started cutting hair out of my garage when I was fourteen. Really? Yeah. So I'm gonna give away my age. It's been 21 years I've been doing it. <laughs> how How did you know that you wanted to? Like, where did that come? from? Did you know someone that did that? Does it like? How did, um, where does that come from when you're in that age? I don't know. I just I just asked my mom to buy me a pair of clippers one year. Um, my grandfather used to cut my hair out of the kitchen, and he wasn't very good at it. But you know, <laughs> I guess that's where it comes from. And I always knew how I wanted my own haircut. I was very always particular about my own hair. Oh, okay. Walking to the barber shop when I was eight years old by myself without my mom holding my hand. You know, just telling them waiting for Pasqua sitting in the middle chair while my friends went to like Nick the Quick in the back. Wow. And, and I waited like two hours for Pasquale because he was the best. And I was like eight years old, nine years old. Really? What did you want your hair to look like? I don't, like nothing, nothing crazy, but I just knew like he was like the best barber. <laughs> the guy. There. He was a guy, yeah. That's wow. amazing. Did your family let you cut their hair when you were 14? Uh, I would practice on my little brother. Um, <laughs> of course. You know, he was my guinea pig. <laughs> Uh, I gave him the worst haircuts, and my best friend um, would come every single week and just screwed up his hair every single week. But thanks to him, I am where I am. Oh, my gosh. Because he was your guinea pig. That's my guinea pig. Wow. And then, so what happened after that? You know, it started with my friends and my brothers, and then it turned into the freshman basketball team, and then I had more and more people coming in for haircuts. And um, every day after school was the hangout at my parents' house. Whether you were getting a haircut or you weren't, you were either playing basketball in the driveway or just— Hanging out every day. Wow. So it's kind of cool bringing people together really? at that age. Well, that's like classic barbershop, right? Yeah. I mean, everybody knows that one person or friend that used to do hair in school, right? Yeah. Um, and that was me. And then when did that become a profession for you? Um, you know, I, I've never stopped. I've never had another job in my life. All I've ever done was hair. Wow. And, um, you know, I went to hair school. Eventually, I actually went to college, got a degree in business, um, which I've to this day, I've never picked up my college diploma because I don't need it. <laughs> Wow, that's so funny. Now, when you went to college, did you know that you wanted to be a hairdresser and that, you know, was the the business degree sort of thinking down the line that, oh, maybe someday I'll want to open up a, a place of my own? Was that the thinking or? Yeah, that, that was actually the thinking. And as I was in college, um, you know, I... I I'd be around my classmates and they're all starting to get jobs and doing this and that in the business world. And I tried to kind of like inch my way towards that. And I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. My passion was in hair. So um, it wasn't until my, after my sophomore year in college that my father actually comes up to me. He's like, Hey, when are you going to go to hair school? I was like, are you kidding me? I'm going to college to make you and mom happy. And now you're telling me. So actually it's, what's really funny is that from my junior, senior year in college, um, I stopped buying books. Um, and I hustled my, I, I, what I learned in college, my junior, senior year was something that a professor wasn't going to teach me. And that was how to hustle. And I did everybody's hair for notes and, <gasps> and, um, genius. And, yeah. And, and I just made my way through and I hustled my way through and I graduated with a bachelor's. That's oh <laughs> my God. So we, I mean, your parents are immigrants, right? Yeah. And so, I mean, mine, mine are too. So you, you were probably raised like, well, you have to be a doctor or a lawyer exactly. or like, and that's probably why you went, is that why you went to college? college? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't even a question. I wasn't going to be like, hey, mom and dad, can I go to hair school instead of, it was just like, go to college because that's what they want. Right, right. And then I guess, you know, they would see me every single day in the garage doing hair and making a little bit of money even like, I, I would I would do haircuts for like either $3 or chicken parm sandwiches from the very beginning. <laughs> oh my God, chicken parm. <laughs> 
<laughs> wow. So that must have been incredibly shocking to hear your dad say. Yeah. So when he said that, I was like, all right, cool. Like I'm halfway through college. I can't stop now. I'm not, I'm not a quitter. So I got to finish, but I'm going to finish my way. And I, and I did. And I just did everyone's hair in exchange for homework and notes and all And that. then you went to go work at a salon after? Yeah, and then I, I went to hair school as soon as I finished college. Got okay. my, finally got my license. Where was that? I was at Artistic Academy in, in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And your parents were on board at the, that point? They were, I was very surprised, but yes, they were, they were on board. <laughs> yeah. And how did, how did you build a career? I mean, you've had such huge clients. Um, yeah, just, just working my way up. I mean, starting, like, I was doing hair for how many years, and I went to hair school to get a license. And once I got a license, I was already pretty capable of doing hair. Yeah. And But I went back and I started assisting at a high-end salon in Jersey. That uh-huh. was like one of my favorite salons. I started, and all I was allowed to do was pull the hair out of the color wheels and do shampoos and then start from rock bottom. And so I started from there again and I worked my way up. And I always just felt like, I felt like I was the best in any particular situation. It was time to move on because there was no more room for growth. So when I was the best assistant and they wouldn't give me a chair, it was time to move on. So I just, that's just how I kept moving. Right. Kind of just putting my in second place and never first. Were you scared? Um, like at those big junctures? No, not at all. I mean, I was just so overly confident, I think, um, <laughs> telling myself I was ready when I wasn't ready to do certain things, but just throwing myself in there and making myself uncomfortable. And yes. uh, that's just how you grow. Talk us through the first time you walked out of work or home and started cutting hair for someone that was homeless. Um, you know, so that actually started in the Philippines. I was visiting family in the Philippines. And it wasn't this whole big grand idea of what I wanted to do. It was just one of those things where you you put yourself in this situation where you see poverty to the extreme and you need to do something. And, you know, I do hair. That's my best thing I, I can share and give. So I rented a chair in a little barbershop, garage door that opens up, 100 degrees, 100% humidity, and worked with the local barbers for the day and invited the homeless children to come in to get their haircuts. Because in developing countries like the Philippines and many others, there's children that live on the streets. Uh. Um, so, you know, just just from the first boy that sat in my chair, I realized that this is this is something powerful because I knew I was going to make him feel good, but I didn't know what it was going to make me feel like. And yeah. I was just, just kind of going through it. And I was like, wow, this is kind of crazy. Um, so I took it back home to New York. And um, that's when I started hitting the street. So that same Sunday that I came home from the Philippines um, during that trip, I just packed up a backpack and went for a walk on on the Bowery in the Lower East Side. And, um, and yeah, just walked up to people. So every time you just walked up to someone and said, what do you say? So I'll give you I'll give you the story. Of how, yeah, how I want to please. Can you so tell us the whole thing? I've got my backpack on and I'm walking down the Bowery <laughs> and there's the Bowery Mission yep. over there and I'm walking back and forth and there's people like groups of three, groups of five, a group of seven, one guy standing standing alone and they're all just standing outside on the street outside of the Mission. And I'm pacing back and forth and because I don't know, like I'm kind of nervous. I don't know how to. I've never done this before. And it's probably like the sixth or seventh time I'm like coming back. And these people are looking at me like, what the hell does this kid want? Like, what is he doing? What's his deal? And something inside of me pulled me towards the man standing alone. And and I'm now walking towards him. In my head, I'm like, oh, my God, what am I doing? What am I? And then all of a sudden, it just came out of my mouth. And I was like, I want to do something nice for you today. And I was like, oh, that's something kind of good. And, <laughs> and he was like— Okay, what's up? And you know, he was he was very polite, only spoke when he was spoken to, didn't have much to say. I was like, Are you hungry? And he's like, Yeah, I am. And he, that's actually why we're standing out here right now, because the food pantry is about to open for dinner around it was around 4 30 p.m. or something like that. And I was like, Oh, well, do you like the food that they serve you here? And he's like, No. 
I was like, well, if you can pick anything you want to eat right now, what would you want? He was like, wait, what just happened? I just want chicken and rice. I was like, all right, cool. Let's go get some chicken and rice. And he's like, what's going on right now? And there's a lot of people out there on the streets that, that are hungry. And sometimes we think it's, it's very polite or nice or amazing of us to just give them our scraps and leftovers. But, you know, everybody knows what it's like to have a choice. If somebody yeah. gave me a half-eaten slice of pizza, would I really want that no matter what situation I was in? Right. You know? So giving somebody a choice was, was um, pretty powerful, I think. So I went to go buy them the chicken and rice. And then there was a cherry on top. And I was just like, hey, by the way, this is what I do. This is what I have in my bag. Would you want a haircut? Because when you look good, you feel good. He was like, yeah, let's do it. So we walked over to the park on Christie Street. And um, yeah, just... Cut his hair right on the, on the park bench. And he didn't speak much throughout the whole haircut. And at the end of the haircut, I handed him a mirror to show him what he looked like. And he looked in the mirror. And the first thing he said was, do you know anybody that's hiring? I want to get a job. And I was like, wait, what? what? And, he's, <gasps> and he repeated it. And he said it again. And to this day, this was back in like, I don't even know, 2012 or something. To this day, I've never seen him ever again, which I think is a good thing. Wow. And, you know, I see a lot of people on the Bowery. I become friends. I know them by name on that street. And like week after week, I was going back after that, asking anybody if they knew where Jamar Banks is, because this is named Jamar Banks. Do you, does anybody know where he is? Even showed everybody pictures of what he looked like. Nobody's ever even seen him before. So I was like, kind of like an angel him. in disguise, this yeah. guy, you know? And yeah. so that day when you were, after you cut his hair and he asked about whether or not you knew if someone was hiring, what were his last words to you? That was it. I mean, I didn't really have an answer for him because it was so unexpected. Right. I didn't have anything lined up. Right. And that was pretty much it. I was like, no, I don't. But I mean, good luck to you. You yeah. look great. Like, I think you can get a job anywhere you go with it looking the way you do. Yes, because it's, I mean, the first impression is is so powerful. Mm -hmm. Were there any other people standing around watching this happen and, and say, hey, can I have a haircut? Uh, yeah, so that day, no. But mm -hmm. any given moment when I go out on the streets and I cut someone's hair, it turns into like a party. Like uh, I could be there for hours and hours and hours and doing, sometimes I do like, I don't know, I've done over 20 haircuts on the street in one day. Why before. do you do it on the street? Um, you know, the, the main reason I do it on the street is because there's people walking by and people need to realize what's going on and what's in their, right under their nose in their own backyard, because this is what I do. I'm a hairdresser. This is how I help. What can you do? Yeah. And that's pretty much it. And I've captured a lot of really cool photographs with my buddy who sometimes comes out with me and, and captures photos with everybody just breaking their necks and staring at what's going on. And it could just be a split second moment uh, to, to kind of plant a seed of inspiration in someone's head for someone to just see what's going on and be like, I can do something too. Absolutely. We always find people have really good intentions and there's so many people that want to do more, that want to give back, that want to become more active. And they, there's so many excuses and reasons that people make up to not start. And they're, a lot of them, I think, are based on fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of not knowing what to do, fear of doing the wrong thing, or it's not enough, or I don't have enough social media followers, whatever it is. And I think what when we were talking about you, what, what we loved about your story is there was just none, you literally just walked out and were like, I'm going to do this today. And I can help one person. And then maybe the next time I can help two people. And the next time I can help three people. And there wasn't really a plan. There wasn't this master thing that you felt like you had to create. Like you just did something nice. And I just find that so inspiring and so cool. As an individual, I can only do so many haircuts to make yeah. people look good and feel good. But right. I think inspiring others to do the same has just like spread like around the world, which is, you know, Do you have cool. a goal? Um. 
No, I, I mean, uh, whenever people ask me what my goals are, what's what's next, I don't ever know. I kind of just just do what I want to do. <laughs> There's this quote. I mean, I, I have to find it where you said, you know, people think hair is vain or it, it's not that important, but for you, you realize how much dignity and and self worth it provides these people. And I guess, how did you how did you realize that? Um, you know, no matter who it is that sits in my chair, whether it's a billionaire client sitting in my chair or someone with a negative bank account living on the streets, every single person walks away from my chair with the exact same feeling. And that's just a higher level of self-confidence and, and giving back their dignity if it's ever been lost. What has surprised you the most about the, the people that you have been servicing? What surprises me the most, which actually shouldn't have surprised me, mm-hmm. is the fact that everybody comes from their own journeys and everybody's got their own stories. Um, Whether it's a paying client telling me a story or whether it's a homeless individual telling me a story, everyone comes from somewhere and has their own their own journey in life. And you know, there are people that that are suffering with drug abuse, alcohol abuse. You don't have to be homeless to be suffering through that, you know? Um, And a lot of people will automatically think and just think that everybody on the street is a drug addict or everybody on the street is an alcoholic. But it's not the tr- that's not true because I ran into so many people and I always get everyone's story when I'm cutting their hair. I spend more time on free haircuts than I do haircuts that, <laughs> that I charge money for. And I get everyone's stories and um, I'll, I'll share one simple story with you. Please. Oh, named, all we want a lot of them. Uh, there's this guy named Graham and he's sitting on a park bench and um, he's probably, probably in his 70s, he looked like, and he's sitting with the plastic bags next to him. And I walk up to him and he's the, in the plastic bag is like fruits and vegetables. And I asked him if he wanted haircuts. So I started cutting his hair and I was asking him where he's from. Does he have any family? And he's from the island of Dominica mm-hmm. with no family. And he worked in construction for about 40 something years. And he's diabetic and he lost his eyesight. And mm. he was legally blind and he couldn't work anymore. And he had no family and no support system to, to get him back on his feet. So that's literally what landed him on the streets is because he got sick. And he had no one to help. And he had fruits and vegetables. He, he was eating healthy. Um, and, you know, he, he was able to get a little bit of his eyesight back through, um, through surgery and whatnot. But it wasn't an, enough to be able to go back to work. Wow. So stories like that just, you know, make, make you think and wonder, like, that could be anybody, you know. And, and I'm so lucky and blessed to have a support system and a family that will support me through anything I go through. Did you discover that you had had preconceptions about the homeless prior to doing this? And then once working with the homeless, you realized, oh, wow, I had a very narrow view or a limited view of, of what, what a homeless person is like and what their stories are. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, even with thinking people might be either drug addicts or alcoholics, and you also see people with mental illness on the streets and Again, you don't have to be homeless to have mental illness. And something inside of me just wanted to learn more. And I would put myself outside of my comfort zone and even feel like I'm putting myself in danger when I learned that I was not in danger. Um, for example, a woman standing on the corner of 53rd and Park at St. Bart's Church, and she's just like yelling at the wall and just saying, F you, F that. And like everybody walking by, like, F you, F you. And I walk right up to her. I'm like, hey, how are you, sweetie? And she's like, how are you doing today? And snapped right out of it. But how many how many people actually talk to her and give her the time of day to even just let her know that she's human and she's there? Um, and she snapped right out of it. Wow. So automatically we might, we might, you know, it's natural to be a little scared of a situation like that. But just putting myself outside of my comfort zone and just 
you know, putting myself in the situation, I've learned a lot. That just blows my mind that you can just, you just woke up one day and did this. You know, we, we talk a lot about, Deborah and I, through this journey of working on this podcast, just about how important this idea of of people's stories and and making people three-dimensional human beings where you just, it's not the homeless guy, it's John and he did this and he does, and he's not this thing that you can ignore and say, I don't understand it, but that he's like an actual person. And the fact that you, through your social media and and every all the work that you do, highlight these people and you share their stories and you- Humanizing you them. Humanize mm-hmm. um, people. It sounds so crazy and obvious. But, I know. But that you you make it hard to ignore is just so incredible. And the more we can kind of share these stories about people, the more connected I think everyone becomes to each other and the more- people will feel compelled to reach out and help. I, I think it just seems so so much easier to to ignore it when you don't know what it is. Yeah. When have you been surprised by one of one of the men that you're you were uh, cutting on the street? You know, I get surprised every day. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's the right yeah. answer for it. Um just just li- again just listening to everyone's stories and and realizing that, you know, my my initial judgment on somebody is is nowhere. It was nowhere near the truth. Right. So now you do this every weekend and you um, do it all over the world. I do it all over the world. Um, when I'm on the road, I'm on the road a lot. So um, whatever day uh, I'm free or I have a minute yeah. in a small window, I'll, I'll go out in the streets in whichever city I'm in. And I always like to do it in any city because I, I try to show that, you know, it's not just New York City, but no matter where you are, unfortunately, there are people that need help. And I want to be able to be that person to show everybody that it's happening in their own backyard and you can help wherever you are. Um, yeah, I get a lot of people that that approach me or email me or message me saying, hey, when are you going to be in my city? I'm mm. going to be in New York. I, I want to come out on the street with you and I want to help you. And I'm like, that's very kind, but in all honesty, I don't need help. There's a lot of people out there that need help. So if you wanted those socks and t-shirts that you want to give me to donate, why don't you go donate it? It'll, it, it'll just spread it so much faster. <laughs> yes. You don't need yeah. me as a middleman. Yes, yes. You just yes. do it yourself. And that's my message is just, just go do it yourself. You know, if, if it's great to be part of an organization or a church or a community of some sort. It's, it's wonderful. But at the end of the day, if you ask too many questions, it could have already been done. So just go out and do it. Did you have a model for this growing up? Did you did you have people in your family or in your community that you saw reaching out within the community and trying to make a difference? Um, you know, I think I learned it from my family um, in the Philippines. You know, we're we're from a very small town, you know, mm-hmm. two hours north of Manila, very poor area, and you know, my my mother had six brothers and sisters and they all moved here except for the youngest brother and he's been holding down the fort but over the past 30 something years that all the siblings moved to America they've been sending money back home right and our humble little home is now turned into this like beautiful home and every time i visit i go there pretty often and i learn that our home acts as a community center for for people um just like you know there's there's children that live in in the cemetery, just five minute walk away from our home, living some without parents, oh. um, living in the cemetery. And you see, like, oh I, I went to go visit one day and I see the kids from the cemetery just having snacks at, in, in our backyard. Um, just wow. doors are open, you know? That's amazing. And do you invite other artists into this? Like, have you tried to 
bring on board other people to do this in their communities? Yeah, I mean, there are, there are so many stylists from around the world now that have taken inspiration and are now doing it wherever they are. And, you know, some of my friends be like, oh, you have a copycat here, you have a copycat. I was like, well, that's the whole point. Like, I can't <laughs> do this alone. That's the best copycat I can have is someone that's actually doing something to help, whether it's it's whether they're doing it for the right reasons or the wrong reasons. At the end of the day, there's something good coming out of it. Absolutely. I, absolutely. I've, I've seen the images and it's just, the transformations are unbelievable. The idea that that someone could look in the mirror and be like, "Okay, now I'm ready to go and apply for a job." I I see, I see someone different in the mirror now because of what you've done, and that is such a gift. Well, that's actually an important thing that you just mentioned too. Is that you know when they look in the mirror and the transformations are just like unreal. Um, another thing is that I've been doing hair for for many years, and I'm never going to perfect my craft, but I'm pretty good at what I do. I think. And, you know, a haircut can make or break an individual. You get a bad haircut, you're going to feel worse about yourself. Yeah. Um, so I get a lot of students that reach out to me saying, hey, like, how can I do this? I was like, well, listen, like, you know, people without homes are, are not ones to practice on. It was really interesting reading about some of the stories that you shared because you realize like, oh, this guy, he's, he's going to go visit his child today and he wants his child to see him in the best light possible. And this guy is going to apply for a job today. And this guy is going to check in with his family or he is a reunion at a school. And and it just, it just keeps going back to this concept of like, yes, there are people and yes, they still have their lives and their families and, and whatever that we can do to help restore that sense of dignity so they can enter the community again is so powerful. Can you tell us about the be awesome to somebody hashtag that you started? Um, so that was literally just a hashtag that I started when, um, you know, for a while I was doing haircuts on the street for for quite some time before anybody even knew. My parents didn't even know what I was doing because I didn't want them thinking that I was putting myself in danger. And oh. you know, I'd, I would miss days on Sundays with them because I was out on the streets and they didn't know. And um, one day I was just like, you know what, like, let me just let me just post something and, and see see what happens. And I was just trying to think of any hashtag I can think of. And you imagine everything is taken. Right. Um, so I'm just like, <laughs> literally just like typing different things. And I was like, be awesome to somebody. Boom, zero posts. I was like, all right, this is it. And it's just kind of cool. Be awesome to somebody. It's simple. Everyone knows what that means. And and everyone's got their own definition of that, right? Yeah. It's just about be, um, being a good person, doing good things for one another. Leading with kindness. Exactly. Why do you think that's so important today? Like in this world, in this, the insanity of everything that feels like it's happening around us that just is the constant recurring theme is just kindness, the simplicity of it. Yeah, you know, I, I read a quote, I'm probably going to butcher this, but it was like, <laughs> the ones that are trying to ruin the world are, are not stopping, so why should I? Right? Mm. So yeah, I, I just butchered it, but it was something, it was. it sounds a lot better than that. You gotta look it up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but just, I mean, it makes sense regardless. But yeah, I mean, Kindness is everything, and what I've learned, um, you know, I don't, I don't do anything like all the all the charity work I do is genuine and from the heart. And what I've learned is that a direct result of being kind and doing good things for one another, you get everything back like a millionfold, mm -hmm. you know. And good things have been happening ever since I started doing good things for other people. And and yeah, it's just the way the world works. And karma is real. Good karma, bad karma, it's all yeah. real. What differences have you noticed from country to country in, in terms of the people that you encounter who are living on the streets? Um, I can tell you the similarities. Okay, please. That, um, you know, poverty is poverty. You right. know, I've done hair in, in 
the Dravi slums in Mumbai, India, where they filmed Slumdog Millionaire. And then there's the Philippines. And then there's um, in Nicaragua doing hair out there for for um, foster kids. And, you know, it, it's all the same. Poverty is poverty no matter where you go. And um, you can only be so poor <laughs> once you're like, yeah. you know, you can't be any poorer than you are. Once you have nothing, you just have nothing. And that's what I've learned is that no matter where you are, there's so many places on this earth that need help. What do you learn from these people yourself? I, I learned perspective and what makes people happy. Um, you know, some of the kids that have absolutely nothing are the happiest people I've ever met. I know. And some of the richest people I've ever met are the most miserable people I've ever met. Absolutely. Why do you think that is? Like, where do you— I think it's really just about appreciation, when appreciating what you have and not, not, not striving for what you don't have. The kids in the Philippines or in India, like they don't have smartphones like to to go on and like, you know, they, they're just happy to have another day. And, you know, when it's pouring rain out, these kids are just like dancing in the rain naked and showering at the same time. Right. But like they're they're celebrating the rain, um, even though it's flooding their homes. Yeah. I, I encountered the same thing in my travels through Africa. I think having things like triggers something in us that makes us want to have more. And that makes us, it's like this hamster wheel. It really is shocking that, you know, we don't need anything to be happy, but we do need our humanity and we do need to be considered, you know, equal. When was the first time you had that experience? I think the first time when I went to Zimbabwe with um, PSI, which is a Population Services International. It's a global health organization and I'm ambassador for HIV AIDS. And, uh, we went, and I remember we visited sex workers, and we were bringing uh, female condoms and water purification crystals to their village. And these beautiful little boys were just running around. And, you know, what we had learned from these women was that the only reason why they were they were doing sex work was because they had this dream of sending their children to school, which was $25 a year. And so that was, that was what they were trying to do. And, you know, but these children were like the most beautiful children I'd ever seen in my life. Oh my God. Yeah. You see, hearing stories like that, it's just like, it, it blows our minds, but it's, it's, it's out there and more than we actually know, you know? I was in Nicaragua doing the same, uh, teaching here at a beauty school for women transitioning out of prostitution, young girls, 16, 17 years old, and spent a, a few days there just doing haircutting classes and hair classes for them so they can learn a real trade. And, um, you know. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was just incredible to hear their stories as well. Um, you know, they weren't prostituting for, for money. They were, some of them were prostituting for good trash. Yeah, so men would go out into the garbage dumps and find something that they can salvage and find anything that's worth gifting, I guess, right? Right, right. And they would go and give that to the girls so wow. that they can go on and sell it. Um, and that's that's some of the stuff I've learned out there as well when it comes to sex trafficking and all that kind of stuff. That was the other thing that was amazing was that um, before I left, my son, who at the time was— six years old, I think. Uh -huh. And I told him that I was going to be traveling and seeing children who weren't as privileged as him and, and children that didn't have shoes and didn't have um, socks. And, and I asked if he wanted to give me clothes for them. And so he went through his closet and we got a big duffel bag full of his clothes and tons and tons of sneakers and sandals and 
So I brought it with me and I put it down and, you know, for the women just thinking, okay, well now their children, you know, their children have clothes and that at least is something that can help them. And the person I was traveling with said, you know, this, this is for your children. And they said, oh no, we want to use this to start a business. (sighs) Wow. And it's like, of course, of course. It's, it's like everybody, everybody wants agency. Everyone wants to be self-sufficient and, you know, don't want to just be given things. They want to be able to do things for themselves and be proud. And I think what you do is extraordinary because it allows them to enter a new space with a sense of pride and um, confidence that they belong in this new space. And perhaps that will translate to them being given a chance that they would not have been given, you know, but for what you had done for them. I love the way you put that because I'll I'll have people like just small minded people that will come up to me and say, well, if they have a nice haircut, how are they going to beg for money? Well, that's not the point, (laughs) you know, and, and exactly how you just said it is exactly the reason I do what I do. You know, did you ever think that your story would get this much attention no, Naturally. not at all. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't the point. Like, you know, I, know. I wasn't doing any of it to to achieve any of this stuff. But I think, you know, doing good things, good things will happen to you. What do your family think about it? I mean, they're they're just proud of me, you know. And I remember my dad saying that um, he feels rich not because of money, but because of what I've been able to do for the family and you know, just for myself and, and spreading good things. Oh, that's so wonderful. We have kids the same age, right? You yeah. have you have a three year old. Yeah, my daughter just turned three on December thirtieth. That's incredible. What yeah. what is she What is she doing now? I mean, what is she into? She's a little artist. Um, when she was two, she she had her own solo art exhibition in Union Square, and um, she sold thirty two out of forty p- paintings, uh, averaging about fifteen hundred a piece. Um, what? Wait. Yeah. Um, yeah. She uh, she did pretty well for herself, and um, you know, she had her own segment on. Um, on Good Morning America, um, she was mentioned on Live with Kelly and Ryan. She had she had she was on the Cut magazine, and like all these articles were written about her. Um, it was kind of crazy. How? Oh my gosh! Well, obviously she's incredibly talented. But how did how did a two year old get get I an, ex- an exhibition? <laughs> and I, think, like, I think the most amazing thing about this is that like I was not involved with anything, and I think like if my name was attached to her story, people would be like, "Oh, the only reason is because of yes. dad." But you can't see, you can't find my name in any article. Um, it, it was, she did it all herself. Um, I think her, she was just like any kid. You give them crayons or a paintbrush, they're just going to mess around on, on Right. And her mother's friend was over and happened to be an artist and saw something there and petitioned her work to be put in a gallery and it went through. Oh my and God. And it was as easy as that and the press came. Oh my God. Does she have an Instagram account? Yeah. It's called Lola June Art. Okay. That's incredible. Yeah, she she did really well. I mean, one of her one of her paintings went for like twenty three thousand. I don't think it sold, but it was it was listed at twenty three thousand. I don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> this is crazy. Th- a three year old. Well, she was two at the time. She was two at the time, and she's she's working on new paintings. She probably has over like fifty or sixty new paintings. We gotta get to Miller go. a job. Yes, you do. <laughs> you are really not a good mother. What <laughs> is wrong with Miller? So, so I was going to ask what what the medium is. Is is it just painting, or is it also is it watercolor? Is it acrylic? Um, acrylic. Acrylics. Yeah, she does acrylics, and she's also a hairstylist. No, I'm just kidding. Um, 
Is her okay. is her mom artistic? Her mom is a hair colorist. So oh, oh color. Hair. Okay. So there you go. So she's got very artistic genes. Yeah. That is that insane for you? Like that must be yeah, so it's, surreal. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. And you know, I'm not going to force her to do anything. And like on any painting, she lasts maybe ten minutes because you know she they don't have a long attention span. So it takes a while to get a whole collection of paintings out there because she's she's going to paint when she wants or she'll stop when she wants. Um, and on the Good Morning America segment, actually, she was she was painting and and the guy um, the correspondent was like, oh, like do like are you going to do this or that? And she was like, all done. <laughs> And he was like, all done. Okay. She's done. <laughs> that's so hilarious. But that, that's and amazing. I mean, that's probably the most difficult part for any artist is no one to stop, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it's people might think it's crazy. I mean, it's it's all abstract art, right? And you think about any artist out there, they're trying to channel the innocence of a child, and she's just a child. Maybe it'll last, maybe it won't. Maybe this will have a good run with her. Maybe she'll continue it, but who knows? I mean, she's literally putting out work of a child and that's what people are trying to channel these days you know well who knows she might be able to take care of you in your old age <laughs> i hope she can take care of me <laughs> <laughs> amazing oh, mark i'm so happy you did this i'm so happy i sat next to you on that weird bus <laughs> i know right <laughs> that was a weird bus just, the whole thing was so weird <laughs> thank um, you so much for coming in cool and, and sharing your story and what you do because i know it's going to inspire people who hear it it's like oh it's sunday how can i be awesome today what can exactly. i do it's you know it's it's a lot easier than we think thanks mark of course thank you <sighs> oh my god that was so fun I can't. I need to see I can't wait. Right you now. have to. I, yes. I I'm need s- to see a painting. I'm dying right now. Thank you so much for tuning in. And please join us next week as we speak with our incredible friend, the one and only Eva Longoria, the Latina visionary. We are Deborah Messing and Mandana Dayani, and you have been listening to The Dissenters. Thank you all so much for tuning in. If you liked today's show, please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. You can go to thedissenters.com to see the full list of our 20 dissenters. We love seeing the support on social, so please tag us at the dissenters, at the real Deborah Messing, at Mandana Dayani. And please continue sending us suggestions for badass dissenters we should feature. Please tune in next Thursday to meet our next brilliant dissenter. This show is produced by me, Deborah Messing, Mandana Dayani, Erica First, and Dear Media. Our music was written by Brady Cohen, and images were shot by Justin Campbell.